0: Today's reading is from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and then verses 18 through 20. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, listen, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up other seeds fell on rocky ground and they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil but when the sun rose they were scorched and since they had no root they withered away other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear, then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, such a person has no root but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. Ask for what was sown among thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Okay. So, how much do you know about first-century farming? No, but you know what your favorite fruit is, right? Okay, okay, so let's talk a little bit about first-century farming. There are some differences I learned about first-century farming from the farming that we do today throughout this country. I learned about this week as I was learning about this text. Not only does this text use a pattern, the sower went to sew, which uses words that are not terribly familiar to us, but also it's a style of farming that's not familiar to us anymore, because not only did they not use the big kinds of machines that we use, and so they would have sewed by hand, with a technique and a way of moving their bodies and walking the roads that we don't really know how to do anymore. But also, they had an approach which some of us might consider in reverse. If you've ever worked a farm, or planted raised beds, you probably weed, and then make the furrows, the rows for the seeds to go into, and then count out the seeds and plant the seeds, right? Well, I learned that first-century farmers would sow the seed and then plow it in. They would sow the seed and then plow the ground. I think that's important for a parable like this one which is supposed to have many faces of truth in it that's important that the good news is sown all over and then it is worked in the good news is sown all over and then it is worked in Kathleen Norris writes in the Cloister Walk, the ancient monastics recognize that a life of prayer must work the earth of the heart. And with this acceptance of the painful and even violent nature of this process in mind, I wrote, and as I take my spade in hand, as far as I can see, great clods of earth are waiting, heavy and dark, a hopeless task. First weeds will come, then whatever it is I've planted. I feel the struggle in my knees and in my back. First the good news is sown and then it is worked in. I've also learned a little bit more than I used to know about farming from watching this show that um, my husband and I got pretty obsessed with during the pandemic. I'm sure none of you found yourselves watching television during the pandemic, but we did. And one of the shows we got really invested in was called Victorian Farm. You're learning so much about me from this. It was a show in which some people who study human life engaged in an experiment in spending all of the seasons of the year trying to live as the Victorians did and learning, through doing, what it was like to be alive at that point in history. And so we got to watch them trying to farm. Trying, most of these people are academics, mind you, (laughs) trying to figure out how to use the blades of the plow to cut earth that had not been farmed in a very long time. It can look so easy when you watch someone who's done it for a lifetime. It is not easy. It is hard work. That's why Kathleen Norris writes about the aching in her knees and back. But as they learned, the way that it looked changed. There was something rhythmic that happened, something that changed in the way that the earth and the plow seemed to work together, in a way. At first, you could tell how hard they were working to try to get the plow to cut into the earth. To not get so deep that it would get stuck, but to get deep enough to uncover the soil that needed to be exposed in order for the seed to take root, to get rid of all of the other roots that were in the way, first the weeds and then the things that we had planted. At first you could tell how hard it was to cut into the earth, but then as they became more skilled with the plow, as they found their rhythm, The earth no longer looked like it was being cut. It looked like it was parting. It looked like it was opening for the plow. It was beautiful. Of course, it's harder to part earth that has been packed down, eroded, or left to lie fallow, or return to rooted meadow. And some of us have found ourselves in that place on our walk of faith. We have found ourselves feeling packed down, eroded, washed away or left, neglected to lie fallow or to root other plants. Did you know that Adam's name in the Bible actually means dirt? That's what that word means, Adam. It means dirt. That's why that song is so accurate, that God makes beautiful things. Out of the dust that is literally what God does in making us and that's what we are all named for we remember that when we go through the cycles of our seasons and we come to the season of Lent and we engage with the ash and we remember that we are dust we come from dust and to dust we return Adam's name means dirt means earth And this is a good thing because the beginning where adam lives is a garden so dirt is not bad no dirt provides dirt is the source of life in fact god says about the garden of eden that everything that grows in the garden is enough for all of the animals and all of the people to live on it is enough and even more than enough for all of us the earth Gives and gives generally. That's what the generously. That's what the nature of Earth is to do. It provides. The Garden of Eden grew everything that the animals need. In the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, the story is that Jesus actually curses a fig tree. Do you remember this story? Difficult one. Jesus curses a fig tree because Jesus is hangry. And the fig tree has no figs on it. And he curses the tree because it is the nature of the fig tree to give fruit. And the fig tree is doing something against its nature. And so by cursing the fig tree, Jesus turns this into a lesson about the things that come from the earth, the things that grow in the earth, the thing that bears earth's image. We are meant to be fruitful, to be generous. It's how we're wired. It's what feels right. The good earth does not hoard. It does not find itself secure by storing things, by keeping energy to itself. No, the good earth uses energy to grow so that that energy that comes forth in the form of its fruits can be shared among all things. That's the way the good earth is. In fact, there's a story about this. Um, did Did any of you read the book, The Good Earth, by Pearl Buck? Do some of you remember that? I see some heads nodding. Yeah? It's a story about people Ordinary people living lives that change be with all of the changes of the seasons and the political times and cultural shifts and different access to resources. These ordinary people go through their joys and their griefs just as all of us do. But it's more than just a story about people with its heartbreaks and its celebrations, it's also a parable. Pearl Buck was daughter of missionaries. She knew what a parable is. And in this parable, she shows what happens to life when we hoard, when we keep energy for ourselves versus when we use the energy we have received to give and to grow. She shows how, when the everyman character at the heart of the story has the chance to store up some wealth, his natural inclination is to start looking for ways, not just to improve his life and his farming for his family, and for his family's future, but quickly, he becomes tempted by the narratives around him that he should try to have status in the eyes of other people that he should show his wealth, that the good opinion of others is what he should spend his money on, and the pleasures make him look like a big shot. They make other people feel comfortable around him because he too drinks, he too parties, he too enjoys the leisure activities that they enjoy. But all of the treasures that go with him and remain with him in the end, long after the days of looking like a big shot are over, long after war has come and gone and taken so many things away from so many people, the things that stay with him, that speak to him of hope and beauty at the end of his life, were the things that were there with him before he had any of that wealth at all. They were the things that he nurtured with his own spirit every day before he had any other option. They were the people who stayed with him through thick and thin, not because of what he had, but because of the way that giving energy to each other makes good things grow. That is the good earth. And that is the good earth we are all made from. Disciples understand this parable. If you're looking at your um, bulletin, you notice we skipped some verses. We skipped from the parable to the explanation of the parable. And in between is a little bit of a dialogue between Jesus and his followers, uh, where they withdraw from the crowd. And the disciples ask Jesus why he talks like this. Why do you use parables and you don't just tell us what to do? And Jesus explains that the people who understand, understand. If you know, you know. And what I would like us to be aware of in acknowledging that is that the story doesn't say, the scripture doesn't say, that Jesus goes off and has this little conference with the Twelve doesn't use the word the 12. It says the disciples. Those are two very different things. The 12 are set-apart leaders who are symbolic of the inclusivity of the gospel. And yes, there are 12 of them, and they are all men. But the disciples include anyone was willing to learn at the feet of Jesus. So when we picture this scene, Jesus is not just talking to 12 people. Jesus is talking to 40 people or 100 people. They were the people who stayed after the main performance, the people who couldn't go home yet, who had more questions who wanted to learn more, who wanted to be part of the backstage as well as the onstage part of things. To all of these disciples, Jesus says, you know, you know what this means. You know, and this is a hopeful thing. Because even in this, Jesus is expressing that affirmation that we are made from good earth. We don't have to be set apart or made distinct by our gender or our race or our education or our wealth or anything that can separate us into little groups. No, it's in all of us, any of us who feels that longing, who has that desire, who's heard that call in the night. It's in all of us. Did you know that a healthy teaspoon of soil, a teaspoon of healthy soil, contains in it more living beings than there are humans on the earth? A teaspoon of healthy soil contains in it more living beings than more, more living beings than there are humans on earth. I was talking to um, some members of the church recently, and they mentioned to me their um, inspiration at this idea that a drop of the ocean contains all the properties of the ocean, and that this gives them hope, because this idea that each of us contains the image of God, it's like we contain a drop from the ocean that is God. It means that there is truly God in us. But also, this other thing is true. You are made from soil, which means you are made from all of us, from everything together. We are all part of it. We are meant to be generous with each other because we are all one another. We are all each other. Our good news brings us all together. It brings energy and life. It grows hope. That's the good news. Our good news brings us all together. It brings and shares energy and life. It grows hope. It grows hope. God's help, may it be so.